Hello everybody, so welcome to episode 27 of uh, Teh Tarik with Walid And I realized I need, I need a good tagline, right? Like all uh, online personalities, I hesitate to use the other word As all online personalities do, especially if you have somewhat of a talk show So I think my my tagline shall be good day everyone uh, since it's all about the day so today we'll be having min chong from uh, sdp singapore democratic party she's the third person from sdp that i would have had on by the end of this uh, episode uh, on this series the first two were the, were the big two professor tambaya and then uh, dr chi sun john himself but min also is a Prominent, uh, she's not as prominent as people, as as the others. But I think she's she's quite impressive, from whatever I know of her, from whatever I've read and uh, heard of her, and I've listened to her stuff. She does. She has been on a few podcasts, I think, including New Narratives uh, podcast. Uh, she she she's she's quite impressive. So I look forward to having this conversation today. So she was a candidate in the. 2020 general election uh, in Holland Bukit Timah GRC. So I will send her and please, if you have any questions for her, please feel free to type them and we shall try to address them. A request. <coughs> so hopefully this works. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hello, hello. Uh, you can Hi, thank you for having me. You hear, you can hear me well? Yeah, I can. Okay. Is it okay for me as well? Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you very well. Okay, so okay. Okay, so I, I think it's not working or something. Okay, so uh, <laughs> how are you, Min? I'm good, I'm good. Um, instead of uh, tea, I have coffee with me. Um, but I think, you know, like in the spirit of being an opposition member. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I wanted to, okay, let's start because I think, uh, as I was saying, um, probably a lot of people do not do not really know you. So maybe you want to introduce mm-hmm. yourself just a little bit before I get to specific questions. Ah, okay. So um, my name is Min, um, as you know. Uh, I was a candidate in the uh, 2020 GE. Um, I... And also in marketing uh, and doing services. I also have my own business to run with my fiance. Um, and um, I am a craft maga enthusiast. You are a what enthusiast? A craft maga enthusiast. The craft maga is basically a fighting system. The Israeli martial yeah. art. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so basically, you can kick a lot of people's asses. <laughs> Uh, I try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you go often or? Um, you... I used to go about three or four times a week, but ever since COVID, that's been a bit difficult. Yeah, so um, I do what I can at home. You know, uh, punch the wall. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> wow, for real or? Ah, uh, yeah, maybe not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, right. All right. So okay. So thanks for that. So yeah, I I think I read that about you. I do, I'm not sure where where it was. Was it in the Utopia article? But uh, but yeah, I did I did know that you are quite a decent fighter. Uh, 
so let's uh, let's get to it, right? So probably the first question I have for you is why why the SDP, right? And I think I I don't know for sure, but you know Elvin Ong, assistant professor from NUS. Yes, yes, not my classmate in uni. He did he did tell me that in uh, in his session. So I assume that we are around the same age because he's the same age as me. So we are, ah, right. so, so we are all in the late twenties, plus minus. Okay, plus minus. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as we were growing up, SDP for sure was the most controversial party, right? Mm. I mean, the SDP mm. today is not the SDP of the two thousands, right? Or at least that's not the impression, at least that people have. Mm. It may still be the mm. same party, but that wasn't the uh, the impression. Right? SDP was. By far the most controversial party. So why SDP? Um, so you know, I think firstly, when I um, you know, as a young younger person, uh, ten years ago in two thousand eleven, when I first started to get um, a little bit more interested in politics, um, you know, and I and I was doing my research on the various parties and organizations that existed. Um, I found that the SDP at that time was the only uh, opposition political party that had um, comprehensive policies or you know, policy papers. Um, and I thought that that was a, a, an affirmative start. Um, it was something that you know, uh, outlined uh, the position of the party in a, in a way that was clearer. Um, so that was something to work with. And a lot of the policies really resonated with me because um, there was a lot of... Um, uh, underlying uh, tones of compassion, which I think was really important to me at that time. So that's why I that's why I joined uh, the SDP. How how old um, were you ar roughly around that? This was when you were an undergrad, or um yeah or earlier. I, I, think I, was, I think I was in poly at that time. Yeah. Wow. So when you were in poly, yeah. you were going through people's manifestos and policy papers. Yeah, and I and I, I credit that to um uh my uh background in debate because um, in poly it was when I started to uh, get involved in, in uh, vastly debating and you know that of course sparked my interest in in political science in foreign affairs you know in just politics in general but you know and also other social issues and right. I think that was the foundation for you know for um, an interest in what was going on locally as well all right all right so um the controversial nature of the SDP didn't scare you or didn't didn't turn you off? Um, no, actually. And I think um, the SDP has that reputation for, you know, two main reasons. I think one, um, it's because of media portrayal. Um, so, you, you know, we, we cannot discount the, the role of the media in uh, framing certain parties or certain sure. figures or sure. issues. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but I do want to say that I think that they've been um, significantly more fair in the previous election, uh, in the most recent one, uh, you know, and I think that's that that does show a, a maturation, you know, of of the uh, the journalists and you know just uh, and a better understanding of uh, helps with the better understanding of um, uh, the political environment. So I think that's something we can give the media credit for in recent times. Uh, but the second one is also because you know SDP has always been a party of very strong principle. Um, and when, you know, you stick to your guns the way the SDP always has, and, you know, when your actions reflect that and your actions push the boundaries a little bit more, um, you're bound to ruffle some, some feathers. Right. Know? But I'm, I'm quite happy to stand with, you know, people who have that kind of courage and conviction 
And, you know, we we won't always get it right, but we'll always adjust. And, you know, I really feel like we need to stand for something, um, you know, not just oppose for the sake of it, but stand for something. Because if you don't stand for something, you're going to, you're going to be lost. You know, you're going to fall for anything that comes your way. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. That was... That was rather ins- insp- inspirational. Uh, so sorry, uh, just now I think my, my mic wasn't on, so I was a bit distant, but now now it's much better, I think. Okay, so Min, uh, let's get to the election. So on one hand, as a, first, as a first-timer, I'm sure you were very proud of the performance you put in. I mean, you got about slightly under 34%, right? Of the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the yeah. other hand, considering that SDP is a significant party, and considering mm. that the national average for the opposition was thirty-nine-ish percent, mm. close to forty percent, do you consider uh, the performance a failure? Um, no. Um, and you know, I can't speak for the others, but of course, you know, as a first-time candidate, I was learning on the go, so a lot of the experiences that I went through were very new to me. Um, so I didn't have a personal benchmark. Um, but what I felt was that, you know, we prepared the best we could in the lead up to the, the GE. Um, and, you know, we gave our performance our all. But I think also um, every GE has, is surrounded by its unique circumstances, right? And the previous one, it was COVID. Um, and so, you know, national average aside, we did see that, you know, because we weren't able to, um, you know, hold physical rallies and, do things that would be quite, you know, normal um, under, you know, uh, regular circumstances. There was a little bit of a, I would say, an, um, an asymmetry, I think, in being able to reach people because, you know, the, the machinery of the establishment is much more complex and much more established. And for us, um, you know, SDP was, I think, quite, um, we were quite fortunate because we always placed um, quite a strong emphasis on, um, our digital and social media outreach efforts. Right. So we were able to build on that during the election. You know, and we had our studio recordings and we were able to push out messages and speeches to a lot more people than we would have otherwise. Um, you know, but I, and I think we, we did well, you know, in, in light of those circumstances. Um, you know, and I think, um, you know, going back to the, the HBT results, um, you know, I think we took the opportunity to, to really kind of unpack the feedback that we got um, and adjust, you know, moving forward after the elections, you know, and to, um, and I think that was really important. What, what because, were some of these feedback that, and the ah, adjustments right. that you made? Yeah. I, I think, you know, we, we needed to be a bit more present in certain areas that, you know, we, we might have been a little bit too focused on, on certain Social geographical ah. Yeah, and also, you know, um, certain issues as well. And because HPT is such a dive, it's it's a huge um, uh, constituency, yes, yeah. and because of that, it's it's very unique as well because um, the makeup of the of the constituency, the demographics, the psychographics are you know I, I would I would say broader than in some other constituencies. You know, okay. you have you have different uh, economic groups um, and quite a quite a gap between you know the the, the most most wealthy and those that are not so. Uh, a little bit more disadvantaged, and the strategies would have to be adjusted accordingly. Um, so moving forward, we took all that you know into consideration, and we're now also planning our outreach efforts in in accordance to to that uh, understanding the insights we could. I guess 
I guess the question for uh, as in based on based on what you just said, right? So, yeah, maybe I, I'm thinking, but probably if you were to have a Gini coefficient of the different constituencies, maybe uh, in Holland Bukit Timah it would be one of the highest, probably, <laughs> right? I, probably, I don't, I think, probably yeah. right? Yeah, I mean I don't know yeah, for sure, I but so. I suspect. Uh, and if that's the case, how what would SDP's pitch, or how would it be different? Since you said you need to calibrate or you need to adjust for the different income groups, maybe I mean that's just one yeah. one cleavage, right? So how would how would it be different if you're moving forward? As in, I for me the PAP has an easier message, right? Whether it's for the higher income, for the lower income, stability, proven track record, blah blah blah. I mean, that's a, that's the easier easier message. But how would an opposition party like SDP appeal to both both sets of constituents? Um, I, I think it would be adopting a broader approach, meaning we would have to, you know, look at programs that would help, you know, the dis economically disadvantaged. We would also ha have to, um, you know, really analyze what it what it is that that drives people that are you know a bit wealthier or right. in, a, in a different economic class because. Right. There are a lot of people in you know um, in who are who are wealthier who don't necessarily look at bread and butter issues, but right. they are looking at ideological issues. And if at all they vote for opposition, you know it's because it's based on principle, you know, and of democracy, of equitability, and all that. So that that is what drives them. It's more of a principle approach because they don't really need so much to take care of like the bread and butter issues, but they want to see development of a nation in other aspects. Yeah, right. So I think we need to, at least these are the two broad categories, there are many different sub-categories as well, um, but okay. understanding the constituency this way um, has been quite helpful. Right, okay, thank you, thank you for that. So, uh, I guess especially for the SDP, as in I'm just thinking of this, right? maybe in Holland Bukit Tima, SDP has a particularly unique conundrum, right? What What is the pitch to the to the higher income, hey, we we are gonna take a lot of your money to fund the <laughs> to fund our <laughs> more welfare programs. So how would you uh, that I can imagine that wouldn't be an easy sell. And I not that yeah. I disagree with you. I I I I am more ideologically inclined towards that. Mm. But I'm just thinking mm. that just practically or politically, it's quite quite a difficult sell, right? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, and, and I think it's because of the impression people have of uh, those that are in, in, you know, wealthier that they don't necessarily want anyone to come, you know, to, to take away from what they have. Um, but I think the right way to sell this message would be, um, you know, it's about being a rising tide, you know, just lifting up the people around you when you have the means and it doesn't hurt you too much to give a little bit, you know, having everyone be uplifted is much better for not just the people that you're helping, but for you as well. Because when a country gets to that point, there's more stability. There right. are fewer social issues. And then you don't have to divert, you know, your social, your, your resources to solving problems because there's a, there's a right. level of, um, you know, equality that's already there. Yeah. So, so in the short run, the higher taxes may hurt you, but in the long run, it benefits both the lower income and the higher income as well. That would be the pitch. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about taxes as well. You know, like however we can help in, in whatever way. That, yeah. Sure. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. So, uh, there is a question by Iggy Pereira. Uh, Iggy mm. uh, asked, uh, "Can you share insights on the thinking behind where each candidate stood?" 
So uh, I assume that it's a party decision. Eh? Oh, you don't go. Do you get to go to Dr. Chi? Dr. Chi, I want to stand in Kuala Bukit Timah. Or how, how does it work? <laughs> um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, okay. You know, obviously, yeah, obviously, I think that, you know, um, over time, you have expressed certain views. Um, but of course, you know, it's ultimately the party decision. For GE 2020, um, I... I don't know if I can speak for everyone, but um, I think for me, it was, you know, I, it was because I've grown up in, in Holland Bukit Timah. Oh, um, so you're a daughter of life. Holland Bukit Timah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I went to school here. I went to, um, I went to MGS, and then I went to Mian Poly, and then I, I lived here pretty much all my life. So I know the constituency really well. Um, and I think it was basically just uh, looking at each candidate's profile. Um, you know, but having said that, I think, you know, um, when we have a uh, an approach that's not just about uh, municipal issues, but that also encompasses national issues and our position on that, I think it makes it easier for us to serve wherever we are eventually, um, where, wherever we eventually end up. Um, I think the previous time people were a little bit surprised about Dr. Paul being moved to uh, to Bukit Panjang, um, you know, and I, and I, and I, going back to your previous question, you know. Um, I, I think the the voters in HPT were a little bit taken aback by that, right. you know, and um, yeah, but but I mean, um, he did amazingly well in in yeah. Anjang, right? And I think yeah. it was the correct decision, no Right. So if he was in Bukit uh, Holland Bukit Timah, you guys would have done better. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Um, hard to say, but I mean, um, he was a very very well liked person. Right. He is right. Yeah, and, he is, he is. And from the Lima voters, um, uh, took him really well. And, right. Know, he, was very, he became a familiar fixture in, in our team, you know, in the lead up to the GE. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know him and I, I don't really know him personally, but he came over to my place for an episode and, Ooh, yeah, instantly, right. I mean, I can see why people like him. I mean, I, he's such, yeah. he has such an affable personality. Yeah. All right, so yeah. Uh, now that you've mentioned uh, Prof Tambaya and I mean, just now I talked uh, about Dr. Chi, right? So uh, there, there is a school of thought and before GE 2020, I was, I was in this school of thought as well. Now I'm a bit, a bit agnostic. Uh, I, I thought that uh, Dr. Chi's time as a, as a politician was up or at least as a candidate was up. Uh, he could be in the background or something, but I think he has earned another shot at least, in my opinion, with his performance uh, in, mm. in GE 2020. So, what do you think? Where where do you stand on it? Uh, I mean, do you do you think? I mean, obviously, I mean, I I mean the fact that you are in SDP, obviously you are supportive of Dr. Chi to 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 a large extent, right? But do you think probably SDP? would be better if it was led by uh, or electorally it could do better if it, if it was led by Prof. Tambaya? Um, I, I think, you know, the way the way we uh, approach our party position is, you know, is, is whichever whichever person is the right is the right individual to lead at that time uh, for the good of the party, I think that's what we'll do. I, I, I really can't speak for the leadership. Um, but if you're asking, you know, is is Dr. Chi kind of still the the re the relevant person, you know, in not just not our party but politics as well? I would say, you know, Dr. Chi represents the 
courage and conviction that I spoke of before. Um, and, you know, I think um, courage and conviction will always be relevant and important, you know, and no matter what you believe in or you would like to fight for, um, you know, you need to be strong and you need to be brave. And I think Dr. Chi is pretty much an embodiment of that. Um, you may not agree with him on, on whatever issues, um, but you cannot deny that he has courage and conviction. So I think, you know, in that way, he will always be relevant, you know, and be it to us or, you know, to even to the other side as, as, as someone that they, uh, as someone that, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the other um, side would, would look upon as um, a force to be reckoned. Um, but I think more than that, he's also shown that over the years, he's been able to, you know, adapt to the social political uh, climate of the day. Um, you know, and adjust his tactics and adjust his strategies to reach out to more people. So I think he's been able to sort of, you know, navigate that really well. It takes someone who's quite shrewd, you know, to be able to, to get, pull that off. Right. So, uh, I, I definitely agree with you on a couple of points, right? So one, for sure, you, you can like him, you can dislike him, but I think you cannot really say that he doesn't have conviction and he doesn't have courage, mm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think for sure, I think that part, everyone has to give it to him, right? He's fighting for what he believes in. Whether you believe in whatever he believes is a, is a separate matter, right? So, and I, I agree with you. The second part is he is definitely more than relevant. In fact, even though he has never been elected, I think he will go down as being more relevant than many elected members of parliament, right? However, uh, if I could push you a little on on what you said. You said it's not for you to speak on the party leadership. But it is, right? Because SDP, you are a candidate in SDP. You are a prominent member of SDP, right? You can have thoughts on the leadership and who you would prefer. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, remember, I remember you pushing Dr. Chi on, on uh, a few questions last time. You know, the, the thing with SDP is that, uh, and this is something that I, I said in other interviews as well, um, um, is that well? Actually, it feels like a big family. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of hierarchy. Um, you know, even though there is the CDC and there is, um, you know, organizational, uh, you know, hierarchy in that sense. But um, the leadership listens to everybody, um, and you don't feel like you, uh, you you don't feel like you can't have your say. Um, but you know, and it doesn't have to be in a in a really super formal way. Um, so in that sense, yeah, you're right. You know, um, although I would still maintain I can't speak for the leadership, I, you know, like we we have all uh, we do have space and we do have the the access to to talk to them um, and to share our views. And they're always really really uh, accommodating and not just patronizing. They're truly accommodating. Um, they truly take into consideration um, what we have to say as not just as candidates but just as 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 members as well. Um, okay. And I'm also a young Democrat. Yeah. And you know, so um, there's a lot of uh, exchange actually between the young Democrats and, and the party leadership over you know what issues are important, what issues we want to fund or push. Um, so there's that you know, um, and so I mean in a nutshell, there is um, there is definite communication and there is a, a respect for every member's views. Okay. Okay, so so it doesn't have you don't have to table something. You can just WhatsApp Doctor Chi and he would he would respond. He's not on WhatsApp. <laughs> oh, 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 really? Okay. 
Oh really? Okay. So he uses yeah, signal or something or <laughs> Okay, okay. So that's that's how he stays above the radar. Okay. So But I guess you can always tell you like Get in, you know, grab, grab coffee with him at Orange and Tea. Yeah, I did. I did go. I did go. I mean, uh, I, yeah. So I, I went. I went because you know he came on my show. So I thought uh, I should, I should return the favor right in some way. Uh, so I did. I did go there. I did manage mm. to go him and uh, uh, to see him, and it was quite. I mean, I I looked at what he was doing, and I felt tired. Like he was going yeah, to every that. table. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how long he can he can last if he he need if he's doing that. I I think somebody needs to tell him yeah. to slow down. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah, have to so talk to every crazy. customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, so uh, maybe uh, let's shift gears a little, right? And because mm. you are one of the You also are part of the Young Democrats, and you are one of the younger candidates. Uh, and I would say, I don't know whether you agree with me. Probably, uh, Raisa, Miss Raisa Khan, is the first woke parliamentarian we've had in our history. Uh, right. And of course, right, and because she she grows up in that environment, and that's her, her the language she speaks. I don't I don't know whether she agrees with me, but I I would classify her. <laughs> As as a woke parliamentarian, so do you consider yourself to be a woke um, person? Okay. So I okay. So I think you know if you, I think this is where um, definition is important. So I would say you know if by woke, um, the ideology is you know the movement which um, is often associated with uh, social justice and its warriors. Uh, then I'm not say I'm not sure I can say yes to that and and. I'll tell you why. Um, sure. Because I make a, I make a distinction between being woke and being enlightened. Um, so because I feel like being enlightened is about you know being aware, being open-minded, being compassionate, and willing to engage and willing to expose yourself to different points of views in a way that is the a way that embraces humanity. Um, you know, and and there's a willingness in that to. Um, To discuss and to engage in debate, but I think wokeness as how it is, um, you know, evolved. Um, and this is my own personal definition. So it's not. It's I'm not saying that people who identify woke are, sure. you know, as such. Sure. But um, so, you know, it's about distinction. So I think wokeness, as sometimes it has evolved into, is a lot about virtue signaling. You know, it's a lot about calling out behavior that doesn't agree with your values, that doesn't align to what you believe in. Um, but in a way that's almost accusatory, um, you know, and and in a way that discourages real connection over, you know, like fostering an understanding of issues because we're so quick as a society to point out what's wrong um, and, and accuse someone of being something is. Before we really understand not just the issue, but what that position or what that community's position is on something, and you know, and I think if we if we jump to conclusions, we actually put up barriers between ourselves and other um, people with other ideas or positions. And for me, it's really about what is the best way to foster healthy discussion in society or healthy debate um, in a way that acknowledges that while I, you don't have all the answers. Neither do I, and we're here to learn from each other. 
and we can agree to disagree in the end, but it's not about being, um, you know, it's not about being inflammatory. It's not about, you know, like uh, painting out a picture of us versus the other. Um, and I think that can become quite dangerous because when you jump into that uh, mode or that mentality, there's hardly any room for, for understanding. And if we're not willing to to talk about difficult issues or to call a spade a spade sometimes, um, we're not going to solve problems. You know, it's just going to be, uh, we're right, you're wrong, or, you know, they're, they're right, this other group is wrong. Um, and, and it creates a, a lot more division, I think, in society than, than right. it could or it should. I must say, I didn't expect that answer at all from, <laughs> from you. Uh, I think it is... <laughs> It is not easy at all for somebody to say whatever you just said, as in somebody in who's going, who's running in elections, especially mm. if you are uh, in the SDP that is generally considered the most left party, right? Mm. Uh, and yeah. and yeah. in many ways, SDP was woke before wokeness was a thing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. You get but what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 but also before woke, you know, became all that it right, is Right, exactly. So it depends on, on what we are, how we are defining woke, right? So so for you, yeah. your your discomfort with wokeness or a version of it at least is hmm. the fact that there is no room for growth that is accorded to people or? I, I think it's, um, I think, you know, before we label something or someone as, a certain whatever, you know, something is. I think we need to to really have a discussion, um, a constructive discussion that puts, you know, that puts both parties on equal ground. And that's how you, that's how you get people to learn, right? And that's how you learn yourself, you know. I think a lot of, uh, I don't know, advocates of, of wokeness um, don't necessarily really see things from that distinction of you can be enlightened about something and there's a different way to approach issues that way than, you know, identify with the, the brand of wokeness that is so much more prevalent in, in the media now or in society. Right. And I am very comfortable with, um, you know, uh, figureheads or, or platforms that are very, very accusatory or very inflammatory or very... Uh, uh, combative with with how they approach certain issues, um, because what is your aim? Really? Is your aim to look good, you know, to uh, move with the trend, or are you really trying to foster understanding in society? Right. You know, and and I think that is something that you know, and and you know, there's another thing as well. Like we all we all kind of gravitate to certain issues because we believe in them, but there are also people that. Um, append themselves to issues because it's what I, you know, what I call personality by association. It's like, I want to be known for, for this issue. Right, right. Or I want to be seen a certain way. And so right. I champion an issue. Um, but to what end? Um, is it for personal gain? Or is it really to, you know, to, to help people come closer together and not create division? Right. And it could also be both, right? It could be both, right? It could be somebody starting off genuinely believing it in a particular cause, but you know the nature of social media and anybody who sees the number of likes and views do not get to that person or does not get to that person, mm. that person is lying, right? Or you're not you're not yeah. human, right, to not be affected by this. I guess yeah. some level of self-awareness or a lot of self-awareness is needed to to overcome mm. that. So I really like uh, what you said about virtue signaling, right? But then how do you differentiate mm. 
how do you differentiate for you personally when you look at a page, right? Is that person hmm. or page virtual signaling, or is that person really championing a particular cause he or she believes in? I think one way you can tell, um, although it's not foolproof, is whether they're inviting discussion or whether okay. they're just blocking and banning, um, right. whether they're engaging with people who have different views in a way that is constructive, or whether they're just shutting them down with one-liners, you know, I'm trying to be right. smart, you know. Right. And, and that's, that's one way you can tell. Um, and also, you know, but there, there will be people or, or platforms that are very, very, um, very passionate about what they believe in. And, you know, let, let's not take away from them as well. Sure. Um, but I think it's really about um, looking at whether something is self-serving or whether it's really for, um, you know, society at large. Right. I think that's, that's a good uh, barometer, I think. Yeah, and I, I do worry about, you know, uh, uh, people being so quick to want to cancel other people. Uh, I do think sometimes mm -hmm. people exaggerate the effects of cancel culture, but I do, th I do think some of it is real as well. Uh, yeah. Because I'm sure if you want to start cancelling everybody, right, uh, 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 someone, right, you can cancel literally any. I'm sure both of us, yeah. right, we have said some some stupid things in the past. Like I'm sure I said some stupid thing last week, right. Uh, so if, if you're going to be cancelled for every single thing that we say, so I I I do worry mm. about that as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so thank you for that. I mean, I I just expected you to say, oh yes, I am. Very woke and <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate that. So so I wanted to ask you this because uh, I do not have a lot of female politicians on. So I do have a lot of I, I increasingly I have a lot of female guests on, but they are not party politicians usually. So I had Sarah on, Anthea on, yeah, yeah. and Megan on and Bertha Hansen on, but uh, and Angie as well, but they are not party politicians. So, uh, mm -hmm. do you see that there is a difference between yourself and the male candidates? Do you feel disadvantage? Uh, because you know the um, nature of sorry, sorry, the nature of mm -hmm. sexism is that sometimes it's very hard to tell, right? Because some cases are clear cut, some cases are not clear cut as well, and sometimes yeah. going through the same uh, or looking at the same experience would not know that it's sexism, right? So, yeah. so do you feel that there is a difference? Um, I always struggle with this question because, as a female candidate, that's one of the first few questions that I normally get. Um, but you know, if I were to be really honest, not, and I always am, I try to be. But um, not really. I don't. I don't feel disadvantaged. Um, maybe mainly because I don't see myself primarily as a female candidate. Um, although I'm very aware that that is obviously the most uh, distinctive characteristic. Right when you first look at you know the the slate of candidates, um, I think actually there's a tacit advantage uh, in oh. the fact that you know female candidates do they're more noticeable, you know, in the sea of their male counterparts. But at the same time, I do also feel that we, you know, we tend to deal with um, issues that our male colleagues don't really have to face as much, which is um, an, an annoying fixation on how you look, um, you know, <laughs> whether it's your weight or your hair or whatever it is, you know, that, that you put in your face, um, you know, and, and that can be quite, um, I don't, it doesn't really bother me, but you know, seeing it from an objective perspective, it is it is a little bit 
um, you know, irritating. Um, mm. Because what we wear, our weight, our appearance, those are not policy matters, right? right. Um, but, but, you know, we get a lot of that. Um, where, whereas our male counterparts don't as much. So who do you get that from? Is it as in, or who do you feel you get that from? Mm -hmm. From the media or from the voters or? Um, I think mostly actually from you know certain uh, Facebook uh, or certain Facebook uh, uh, online pages. Pages, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. I've, I've seen some really unsavory comments, you know, about about myself and about other female candidates. Um, yeah, so. It genuinely doesn't really bother me most of the time. I laugh. I do get comments from my friends saying, you know, I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. Um, you know, it's okay. I don't deal with it. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, okay. So, uh, so that, uh, other than that, do you see any other difference? No, that's the only one for you. I think that would be the most common uh, uh, distinction between what we face as female candidates right. and what um, our male counterparts do or don't. Um, but other than that, not really, because I think, you know, as long as you put yourself forward in a way that is sensible, in a way that's reasonable, um, you're going to be more than, than you know, your gender. Okay. Oh, so that's, that's really nice to hear. So do you, um, do you feel there's a difference in expectations for female candidates because you are expected to raise female issues fairly or unfairly, right? Women's issues. You are expected mm. to raise them. Uh, unfairly because I suppose your male colleagues are not required to raise male issues. Uh, but fairly because I guess you would know what or to some extent you would know better than what your male colleagues uh, know about what women's issues are. I I mean, I think um, you know, like you said, it's both fair and unfair. Um, and I think that if a female candidate really has a a platform that they want to run on and that uh, a set of issues that they're really passionate about that happens to not really be female slanted or oriented. I don't think she should be punished for pushing that platform and not something that's overtly um, a women's issue. And, you know, I think men can equally take on women's issues as well. Right. You know, and, you know, whether they do or not, you know, is also how much they feel for the issue. Right. So I think, you know, even across, across the aisle, um, uh, Louis Ng has been quite. I was gonna. I was right. gonna say he was at the tip of my tongue. I swear I was gonna mention <laughs> him championing IVF yeah. and and so on. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. he's been yeah. yeah, he's been at the forefront of it. Yeah, mm. more so than mm. many female uh, politicians as well, right? But I guess yeah. even if female politicians don't bring up women's issues, right, I don't think we can hold it against them, right? Because they were not mm. elected on the basis of them being female, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Unless, you know, there's a difference between female candidates and minority candidates who are elected in GRCs, right? Because minority mm. candidates who are elected in GRCs, you are partly there because of your race. So you have no choice, right? So you have to. Yeah, yeah but female <laughs> candidates are not, right? There is no quota for, for females. So I don't think they are obliged to, to raise female issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or women's issues. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think I think that was uh, quite illuminating. Uh, so, what is your personal platform, right? Which obviously your your ideologies are in line with SDP's overall ideologies, mm. right? Oh, by mm. the way, maybe maybe there are, there are a couple of questions here that uh, we can we can ah, okay. ask, uh, we can answer first. So the first is, 
what you are saying sounds uh, just as applicable if you were to stand for the ruling party. So what is the difference between SDP and PAP? I think that's a pretty easy one to answer. Or <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I think we all choose our affiliations based on party principle. Um, so and, and I think your um, the question points to the fact that we should all be working together. You know, it's not just about opposing. It's not just about you know like the incumbent pushing back on opposition. You know, there's there are many issues that are central or important to both sides, right? And I think we should be working together where, wherever we can. Um, but in terms of why SDP and why not PAP, I think it really is about which which party's values you most identify with, um, and from and it's from values that you craft your action. Um, so an action, an outcome can be born of different philosophies, right? But if which philosophy is the one that you feel most comfortable with, I think is, is why people choose different parties. There's no right or wrong. Okay. So I never thought, if you ask the 15-year-old me, I never thought I would see the day where an SDP candidate says that we must work with the ruling party where we can. <laughs> so yeah, you just we must work together. No, I mean I I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I I never thought I would hear that. So, uh, the the mm. other one is this question. I I would have to take issue with this question. Party politics aside, what do you believe are the core problems with Singapore? Well, there is no party politics aside. The problems and solutions <laughs> are always related to politics, right? So I think that question right. is already flawed in the first place. But maybe we rephrase the question. What do you think are the core problems with Singapore, right? And maybe uh, it goes to the question that I wanted to ask as well. If there was one policy that you would change, right? So obviously mm. this would be about the one problem that you would solve. So what what would it, what would it be? Yeah. So I'm. I'll just what I maybe feel is the most uh, pressing problem we we face now. Um, I think it is. I think it is our idea of what success is. Um, and the kind of stress that that engenders. Um, and I think it's born from the fact that our metrics of what is a successful life or metrics of what is uh, good to do um, is, uh, is based on this, this pursuit of you know, economic uh, aggrandization, uh, the, pursuit, the pursuit of uh, financial success. Um, and that creates a lot of pressure for people to, you know, uh, make more money, uh, spend more time at work, you know, and, and that really affects not just the individuals, um, but their families and the people around them as well, and the health of society as well. And it's really sad that to mention this, but we see, we've seen a significant rise in, in suicides or suicide attempts or, or you know, general, there's a malaise in society, you know, um, and that's that's really troubling because it, it speaks of the rot in society. It speaks of the fact that there's something really wrong, you know, and people are, you know, unhappy and, and struggling. And I think that's that's quite dangerous. Um, so before I, um, in the lead up to, to the G, during the G as well, I, I, you know, ran on the platform of um, workforce wellness, um, you know, tackling the issues of uh, socioeconomic sustainability, um, job creation, um, organizational culture, personal well-being, because I think all of these things are linked together. Um, and 
I'm still really passionate about that. But recently, you know, as, as I told you earlier, I set up a business with my fiance that focused on healthy and happy living. Um, you know, and that also shifted um, my focus a little bit to family well-being. Um, and, and basically, um, so it may not be one policy. It's likely to be a combination of a few. Um, but I think, you know, it's really about how how do we tackle um, individual well-being and how do we make sure that families are happy and secure at the same time. Um, it could be, you know, creating better access to childcare facilities or childcare support, uh, allowing, you know, creating the conditions that would allow people to spend more time with their children, uh, their, the, their loved ones. Um, For day you know, work week, would that work? Yeah, I know. I really, I really support that. I really support that because um, the five day work week, uh, nine to six or eight to five, those, these are industrial age relics. Um, they don't work so much so well now. And if we keep sticking to them without understanding why they existed in the first place, and if we can actually change um, the conditions within which we work and live, I think you know we would be a much happier society. Um, and I think the pandemic was really good because it provided an impetus for that. You know, you know before before lockdowns and COVID, you know, we were just trudging along, right? Um, but COVID and lockdowns and the changes that we had to make showed us that we can telecommute on a regular basis. We can work from home and still be productive. In fact, it has, you know, reduced the need for paying high rents, no offices and all that. It has, uh, you know, in, and there are problems, there, there are little issues here with working from home and the, the blurring of yeah. professional and private time. But those are issues that we can work out. Mm. Um, as long as we know that we're moving away from systems and frameworks and structures that don't serve us as a society, and we start to recalibrate, I think that's a good thing. So, you know, I think between my workforce wellness and family well-being uh, uh, areas of interest, I think the, the underpinning um, principle would be finding ways to shift our focus from economic or financial um, struggle to personal fulfillment and family uh, happiness and stability. So what, what does success look like in this, in your vision of Singapore, in this new vision of Singapore? I, I think at the very least or at least at the surface, it would look like not having to struggle every day to make ends meet. Um, and that is a huge issue for a lot of people. Um, and you can be earning like 8K or, or 10K, whatever it is, and you're still living hand to mouth because you're, you know, what goes into your bank goes out as expenditures. It could be you know, your, your kids' uh, education, it could be your mortgage or whatever it is. And that's, it's really difficult for people to... Um, it's difficult for people to thrive as a person, as a whole person, when you're so fixated on just trying to stay afloat financially. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something we really need to, to uh, address. And, you know, that sort of mentality that, you know, for example, if parents are struggling financially, and obviously they want their children to be financially secure, but the way some, some parents look at it is, you've got to study hard, you know, you've got to get, a, you know, get into a good university, get a good job. Um, but that also doesn't take into account the child's needs and the child's own passions, um, you know, and, and it's very detrimental all the way, you know, from parent to, to child and, and from family to society, that kind right. of mentality that is all about this one idea of success, which is based on economic, you know, growth. Right. 
so so i i generally agree with you but uh maybe some some nuances right and i'm i'm fully aware that whatever i'm going to say next may result in me getting cancelled so what what if what if the pendulum swings the other way right and then we we do not have incentives for people to succeed right uh and i don't it hasn't happened yet it hasn't happened yet but maybe there are signs right so i'll give you an example right? i don't know what you feel about this <clears throat> but when i went for my for my son's sports day right when he was in k1 on nursery 2 and everybody got a gold medal <laughs> and i ha- i had a huge problem with that you know <laughs> because i feel right that is something that needs to be earned right and what is the message that we are we are sending also you know because you don't have to try and you're going to get a gold medal and and then people say oh yeah we want to encourage participation yeah i know but also shouldn't we also teach our students how to deal with failure from from and sports is about winning and losing and there's a lesson in winning there's a bigger lesson in losing also i feel that yeah. sometimes the the way we we compensate for the problem that you rightly pointed out is to shield them from problems and failure which is overcompensating don't you think yeah i mean i do agree um so but i think also looking at that um scenario the reason we're giving um or people are giving you know like everyone a gold medal or like a medal of participation is because there's this there is a narrative that you should be good at everything you know ideally right ideally you should be good at math and english or <laughs> languages or sports or whatever it is music <laughs> Um, and and that's why you know whatever the area you know kids are getting everyone's getting gold medal because oh no if you if you listen guys you know you're not going to be able to deal so while i agree with you it's it's really important to teach everyone especially kids the value of learning from failure and that but it's also important to use that as an example to say you're not always going to get a gold medal for sure because right. it should be basically but you don't need to be good at everything right so if you're not if you're not going to be if you're not good at sports that's fine you know find some area that you're good at and right. and, and you will probably get a medal there yeah mm. <laughs> okay no that's that's an excellent answer thank you for that uh so yeah i mean i do feel that uh one of the areas that have been i know i know it's been talked about in the past 6 months and i think the pandemic accelerated this as well but mental health is a huge problem i mm-hmm. i remember when when i was uh amongst my friends some of my friends and i was i was very reluctant to support lockdowns even though i understand that the need for that and the reason is because the effects of lockdowns are different for diff- people of different socioeconomic classes uh and yeah. the lower income people who are living in smaller homes big families they suffer disproportionately from lockdowns uh especially yeah. if there are no outlets you know if you cannot eat out you cannot go down the street soccer is closed at my house the basketball courts are closed i mean and that's a recipe for disaster i think uh so and i remember some of and i was saying that i cannot imagine the mental health of these people and some people uh who are obviously in more privileged positions uh were saying that physical health is not as important as mental health 
Uh, and I, I, I get flawed by, by such comments, right? So, uh, so I definitely agree with you. The problem is huge that because we, we define success in a particular... Although, to be fair to MOE and, and the PAP, they have uh, started uh, to rectify this. In fact, I would say they have gone further than the population has, right? The population is still probably stuck in 1990s when it comes to this version of success, whereas the PAP is trying to move away for, from it. Although then the initial creators of this were, <laughs> they were the initial creators of this, but they have tried to change it. Do, do, do you think that way as well? Do you think the, the PAP is moving the right direction on this? I mean, I think, I think they would be extremely obtuse and they didn't see the issues and didn't come up with the solutions they so had. So they had no choice, basically, right? I think if they had common sense, which I really <laughs> hope they do, uh, they would they would know that um, these issues are important and urgent, and that they would need to address them. So, but you know, I mean, credit credit going to them, they are trying now, yeah, and they're trying to put certain um, frameworks in place and trying to promote certain uh, policies. So, I think right. that's a good start. Um, but you're right, also, it, it 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 will take time to trickle down yeah. in society, and it will also it will also be contingent on whether or not you see the leadership um, acting in accordance to what they right. uh, to the policies they put out. Right? right? Are you setting a genuine example? Right, right. Absolutely. And I think that is going to send the message. Absolutely, yeah. So, so you you made one point just now where you that is quite absent in the discussions on mental health, which is you linked the economics part to, to it. And it seems like part of the solution to these mental health problems uh, would be to get the economic policies right as well. And do, do you, or am I reading too much into what you said? Or is that what you're saying when you're saying when people, if they, if they are living hand to mouth, right, then it's difficult for them to actually have some mental wellness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think we do need to look at our economic policies. Uh, I'm by no means an expert, um, but I I do see a very strong link between you know the economic landscape um, and how that trickles down to the individual. And it, you know, for example, um, our fixation on growth for growth's sake. And our fixation on profits, right? You know, especially over people. And you look at that in the corporate realm where companies are increasingly hiring more contract staff versus putting people in headcount. Um, and that's because, you know, one of the reasons is it's cheaper, right? Because you yeah. don't have to offer the same benefits. And also because yeah. it, it looks better when it, when it comes to a, um, a profit per employee kind of a breakdown in the annual report. Yeah. And when more people are, when you are on contract, and not on headcount, there is a certain insecurity that you feel. Um, sure. And if anyone has been on contract, they know that you know you, you feel a lot more dispensable. Um, you feel like you know you're not getting the same benefits. So there's a, there's a measure of you know feeling a certain kind of injustice um, as a person, um, and also the fact that you're you're well aware that you're you know that it's it's going to be much easier to let go. And so when you're in that position, you tend to you know, you tend to push yourself harder, you know, or, or you're more afraid of losing your job. So, you know, you, you stay extra hours, you you try right. your best to, you know, like compensate so that you you won't be as, uh, you know, dispensable as you feel. And that creates a lot of stress on the individual. Right, right. So I think that's like one example of how like economic yeah. policies can affect corporate 
um, culture and how that affects the individual as well. Okay, thank you, thank you. That was that was really clear. So, uh, final substantive question, right? So, you are. I assume you will be running in Holland Bukit Timah if all goes to plan. I know we cannot predict the future, but you have intentions to run in Holland Bukit Timah in 2025 um, or 2024. To, to nurturing and, and cultivating a community that is connected and, um, and can support and help each other uh, within the constituency and even beyond um, in a way that um, would thrive even if we weren't there. So, but we hope to, you know, I think I, I, would, I personally want to build up a community of people within the constituency that so, are connected to each other. So your pitch, your pitch is what? Vote for us because we are more compassionate or...? What's um, your pitch? I think my pitch is okay. So first of all, I think generally, um, you wouldn't have a political system if not for opposition, right? Um, and opposition parties, opposition figureheads, or whatever you know, opposition candidates and members, supporters provide more perspectives than you know, and, and um, yeah, more perspectives than you know, just one party can can stand for or, or to offer. And um, so I think it's really important to celebrate the diversity of views uh, and positions in, you know, in the socio-political space. Um, but I think if you were to ask why vote for SDP, I think it would be, we've always run on the idea or the principle of compassion. And compassion is, if you look at what's happening in society now, it's something that we sorely lack. Um, and not because we don't have it and we're not willing to to give it and share it, but because a lot of us are just struggling. And when you're struggling, you, you're focused on surviving and you're not focused on giving. And but that's do, nobody's do you, fault. Do you really think that is why Singaporeans are, are compassion, uh, less compassionate? Because your, your answer right there right, uh, mm. is similar to what... Uh, okay, it's not similar, but that it, uh, it has similarities, I would say. Uh, with what uh, Professor Tommy Koh said, right? Singapore is a first world country, but uh, mm. first mm. third world nation. Actually, it's not. It's the opposite of what uh, of what uh, you are saying. You are saying that because people mm. are struggling, therefore they are less compassionate. It's it's harder to be right. Uh, but, it's harder to give when you're struggling. But that's not true of many other countries, right? You see, many many poor people. They are the most hospitable. Mm. They will open their doors mm. to you mm. and. And in the most rural of areas where they are living hand to mouth. So, is it really related to economics, this, this idea of compassion? I think it could also be their idea of what is success. And if their idea of success is a, a thriving community where everyone helps each other, then economics doesn't matter so much. Right. But if we're still focused on the fact right. that economics okay. finances are the only way to go, then. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Fair enough. I, I think I, I buy that. It's a good explanation. Okay. So, so final question. I always end off uh, like this. So, uh, who is your favorite PAP MP other than Taman? <laughs> other than Taman and Louis Ng. And please don't say, don't go as far back as <laughs> Dr. Chi did. He said Lim Chin Chi. You just took two 
of my choices out of my mouth. <laughs> um, gee, I really... Uh, it, oh, that's hard because I haven't thought beyond those two, actually. Uh, <laughs> those two are everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I... Hmm. Oh, dear. <laughs> um... I really don't know um, at this at this point. I think it would be any PEMP that, or, or you know that that stands for stands for issues or principles that that you know is easy to get behind. Um, and and I know that's a really wishy washy answer. <laughs> that person is. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, out of uh, eighty plus, surely there's someone who's. <laughs> Can I choose an opposition member? <laughs> okay, sure. That, okay, opposition then. Yeah, who's your favorite non-SDP member? Mm. Other than Pritam. Other than Pritam. <laughs> okay. Um. I okay. My other than Pritam. Mm. <laughs> I think someone who. I don't always agree with, um, but I do feel has a lot of <laughs> a lot of a uh, spa um, is probably Charles Yu. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we don't have to be on every. Sure, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 he doesn't. He has he has courage and conviction, right? And I think that's a that's one step forward. So. Wow, okay. I, I, again, I totally didn't see that coming. This was just like Dr. Chi when he said Lim Chin Seung. I, it wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. <laughs> okay, is there, is there anything that uh, you wanted, uh, anything else that you wanted to say, Min? We've just passed the, we've just crossed the one hour mark. So, yeah, is there any final thoughts that you wanted to say? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just really massively honored to be, to be here, um, to hear from you as well, and to, to learn from the questions that were posed. Um, you know, and I, and I just hope that, um, you know, no matter where we stand, whether it's in, in the opposition camp or PAP, or whether it's, you know, whichever advocacy uh, organization, whatever you believe in, I think one way we can help this nation progress is we have conversations with the aim of understanding each other. Um, you know, and, and it's not about painting lines of division. It's really about just coming together because we have a common goal, which is we want the best for this country. And we really need to have open, honest uh, discussion in a way that is not based on, you know, just protecting your ego. It's really about, you know, coming together in a way that is it's compassionate and productive. Okay. So on that, positive and conciliatory note. Thank you so much, Min, for agreeing to do this. The honour was completely mine. I think it was a fascinating, no, thank you fascinating conversation. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I guess uh, when things get better, we'll meet at Orange and Teal. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, <let's do> that. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Thank you. Good night and good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. See you. Bye-bye.